My first week in the company, I basically just came in and said to the president, this is everything that you're doing wrong. That didn't sit very well with somebody who had put her life's work into that company. My boss was like, you really stepped in it big time. Choose not to live in a world of filters. Realize your mistakes. Set the foundation for your success. Get some wins. Knucklehead Podcast. Well, welcome to another edition of Knucklehead Podcast. We've got with you today, the Knucklehead Stephen. And I'm coming to you from the great state of Texas. And uh, out on the East Coast, we have an esteemed guest. Listen, if you're on LinkedIn today and you're scrolling through your newsfeed, you're looking for different topics to pay attention to, you'll notice that there's been a significant change, not just in the way that people are marketing themselves, but the way that companies are leveraging the talent within their business. And you want to observe what other folks are doing. And I want to essentially bring to attention my particular guest today. He partnered with a, a very large organization. His background is he shares some things in common with me. He was in the Marine. I was in Marine Corps. So we, you know, we share some things like that in common. But what I want you to pay attention to is I want you to pay attention to his thought process when it comes to differentiating himself in what I would consider to be a, a fairly flooded environment. I'm excited to have with us somebody who recognizes that there needs to be some zagging when everybody else is zigging. So Rob, appreciate you taking some time to join us on the show today. Rob Renz, I'm going to butcher your agency name, so I'm going to let you tell everybody what that is, Rob. That's okay, man. Yeah, yeah. So thank you so much, Stephen, for having me. Well said, zig when other people are zagging. That's uh, kind of like my mantra and to be a disruptor. But yeah, so Rob Renz State Farm Agency is the current forefront of my entrepreneurial portfolio right now. So that's what our number one is, what we're trying to scale in, in the immediate. Rob, let me ask you a question. Where are you? You're in North Carolina, but I don't want to mischaracterize where you're at. Yeah, we're in Wilmington, so uh, south, you know, southeastern North Carolina, right along the coast. Great, awesome area. Was the East Coast where you hail from, or did you spend some time in the Marine Corps out that way and decide to stay in the area? Yeah, actually, so I'm the son of a retired Marine Corps colonel. Uh, he was a C-130 pilot. So I was born at the Naval Hospital on Camp Pendleton and grew up, you know, in Oceanside, Escondido, San Diego area. And then when he left Camp Pendleton and became the uh, pilot for General Krulak and General Monday. He was the Commandant's personal pilot. So we moved to Annapolis. He worked out of the Pentagon and Andrews Air Force Base and then moved us down to Atlanta when he went to fly for Lockheed Martin. So I, like every other military brat, am from all over the place. And when I joined the Marines, of course, I was Paris Island Marines, so Jacksonville was the next stop. And I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but I do not like Jacksonville. But much like every Marine that was at Camp Lejeune, you know, you'd spend your Libos, your 96s down in Wilmington. And it was like, man, this place is this is kind of awesome. So I fell in love with the area. My wife has family here. She's, she's born and raised in Atlanta. So when we had the opportunity to get here, we jumped all over it. Yeah, I appreciate that backstory. For those of you who are listening, who've successfully just fast forwarded the fact that Rob stepped on your toes with uh, with <laughs> Jacksonville. My brother spent some time in the Navy out that way. He had some great things to say about Jacksonville, and he also had some negative things to say. Yeah. I'll let you be the judge, the listener of how frequently, you, you know, you make it out to the beach that way down in Florida. I'm more of a Gulf, Florida beach area myself, if, I, you know, if I'm being honest with you. So I didn't get an opportunity to spend a whole lot of time on the East Coast whenever I was in the Marine Corps. I was in Okinawa the whole time. So rather than bore our listeners with where we were stationed, what I'd like to do is, Rob, let me ask you a question. So every Marine who's listened to this or every you know service member who spent some time understands that officer enlisted dichotomy that takes place. There's that natural friction that takes place 
with somebody who's in charge and somebody who's essentially executing that particular work. How did you calibrate joining the Marine Corps, knowing that you're, I mean, honestly, your dad was connected with a lot of the, the yeah. upper echelon in terms of decision-making. Were you an enlisted guy or were you an officer? Help, help me understand the context on that. I was enlisted. And this, this is a, a great story about the first dumb thing I did when I was in the Marines, the first knuckleheaded thing I did when I was in the Marines. So I was at, I was at boot camp, Paris Island, uh, second battalion hotel company. And, um, you know, I grew up around a dad who was very close to dignitaries. When he was retiring from the Marines, it was his decision was go to work for Lockheed or be the pilot for Air Force One. So, you know, we were in that kind of bubble of very important people. And my dumbass, when uh, I think it was maybe my first month or month and a half in boot camp, I wrote a letter as a recruit to General Monday. And, you know, it was, <laughs> I don't know why, you know, maybe it was just a overinflated sense of self riding my dad's coattails. But General Monday, being the tremendous man that he is and was, he's since passed, I think probably a few years back. But he wrote a letter back to me. And he did the one thing that if I was in his position, I would have done too. He sent it in an envelope that had Commandant of the Marine Corps letterhead on it. And he sent it to recruit. Robert Wren's hotel company, Platoon 2003. Well, we all remember the story of mail call, right? The senior drill instructors like Wren's, you know, he starts calling out your name. Well, he sees this letter with oh a letterhead from the Commandant of the Marine Corps on it. And I opened it because, you know, I was afraid that he was going to open it and read it, but he, I, he didn't want to get a federal offense for opening somebody else's mail, I guess. But he made me open it and he made me read it and I've got the letter at home. I wish I had brought it. So I read it in front of everybody. And man, when I tell you that, you know, I was undressed and then my, my boot camp experience was completely different from there because it was basically, oh, you think you're special. You get to write to the commandant of my Marine Corps. And so I learned very, very fast that I didn't mean, sh you know, and who my dad knew and who I knew because of my dad didn't mean anything either. And so it was... The I think that's very... Very, very, very important. I'm cringing right now, literally thinking about the the level of intensity that most drill instructors would honestly would take. There's a lot of drill instructors who the way that they think, I admire the way that they think because of the patience that they have to have mm -hmm. in order to deal with to deal with the uh, the decision making capability that is the Marine Corps. But then also at the same time, have to deal with recruits who just don't get it or they're frozen just because they're they're constantly just terrified of what's going to happen next. I mean, it's a highly stressful environment. Your identity is completely gone. So who you were is not who you are whenever you're at boot camp. For those of you who are listening who haven't had the the pleasure and the experience. So Rob, I got to I got to ask you, you've gone through some Christmases and some Thanksgivings uh, since this time. Does this ever come up? Does your dad like still to this day, try to smack you upside the head for being an idiot and doing that? All the time. Uh, maybe if not on an annual basis, but, you know, every couple of years, it'll it'll come back up. And, uh, you know, my dad, my dad, he retired with 30 years, uh, uh, you know, a legion of merit. I mean, just like incredible honors. Like when he when he left the Marine Corps, he had the most hours in a C-130 than any other pilot on the globe was my understanding of it. And so he still calls me boot because, you know, I got out after eight years as a sergeant. And I love it. So, um, you know, we still have that. Cool. We still have that. But to answer your question, I think growing up in that environment just really gave me 
in appreciation and respect for the chain of command and authority. And then that one time I thought I might try to subvert that and step outside of it early. I got smacked down real quick. So. <laughs> well, good on you for, for being bold. We call that don't be beta. So that same spirit, that same spirit that exists, Rob, and what I mean by this, so let me be specific. So there's a lot of times where not necessarily in in every single culture, but let's just say in a business culture, in the context of the Marine Corps and the decision-making, there's a significant amount of planning that before you take action, right? And, and rightfully so, there, you have to go through this, this, uh, this well-organized operational risk management process, or you know, those of you who are listening who are going into your job today, whatever you're going to do for work, your managers or the owners of that particular company, they've spent some time in critical thinking, coming up with whatever the steps are to, to come up with a well-crafted plan in order for you to effectively deliver a result. And the same thing happens in your world as a business owner, because every single hour that goes into the folks that work within your agency, you want to return on that particular hour. So you can waste a significant amount of time planning, but at the same time, you have to have that spirit of it's easier to ask for forgiveness than it is permission. It's, you have to have that kind of inner gumption to drive and, and move forward, knowing that you, you could step on it. You could make a mistake. Now, granted, that's a kind of a, a hyperbolic example of a recruit riding the commandant of the Marine Corps, which is essentially the highest ranking officer in the, in the Marine Corps. Yet, at the same time, I almost admire that courage in a way. So it's tough to steer a parked car. So I, I appreciate you sharing that you had that level of ambition. You use the phrase an overinflated sense of self. Did that force you into situations that you didn't find a whole lot of your peers in, and not just in the Marine Corps, but even even getting out? Do you feel like that that spirit never really went away? Or how did you learn to kind of put some left and right lateral limits on that feeling? That's a great question. You know, and, and to your point about being a business owner and taking risks and having ambition, I would I would certainly say anything that's on an axis like that you know, I wanted to find a middle ground where I didn't lose what I think makes me special when compared to just normal everyday people, which I am. I don't want to try to paint that picture, but where I think I can set myself apart is that I am always willing to kind of recklessly go into the unknown with a little bit of data, maybe not the whole picture, but just a little bit. And it served me, it served me well throughout my life. And, you know, there, there are certainly times where I didn't have any data with which to make a decision and it was very reckless and there was no decision-making behind it. And, and, you know, very much like writing a letter to the commandant, I got my just desserts for that. And, and so <laughs> in, in the course of life, you start to learn you know, what are those things that are good, sensible risks to take that will have a payoff for you in the end? And what isn't what's going to get you smacked back down and realize that you're human and you're not indestructible. And then I think that, you know, that that over inflated sense of self starts to become more middle ground where you're confident in your abilities. You don't lose your ambition. You certainly aren't shaken by failure. But, you know, at the same time, like, don't do dumb stuff. <laughs> so, If you look at that through the lens of business ownership, now running your agency, running the business and understanding the product that you're, you know, that you're bringing to the marketplace significantly helps people, right? It, it literally calculates whenever there's a likelihood of, uh, of a catastrophic event taking place. And so having that peace of mind, you essentially provide that. Uh, however, 
the risk-taking capability. Think about that for a second. So you have to evaluate that and identify that in somebody else that you would like to onboard to your agency. So how do you how do you calibrate that whenever you're going through even just the human resources, talent acquisition, all that whole process? How do you recognize that in somebody else, but then also not step on their toes and y'all both work on a common goal together? It's a very fine line to walk, right? Because it, as you and I both know, as a business owner, and and I'm we opened on January 1st, opened this agency. So the most important thing right now is client acquisition and getting to scale. And so I am the chief executive officer, the vice president of sales and the salesperson all in one, you know, that's, that's, and I love, I absolutely love that. And that side of things comes with a ton of risky moves that I have to make. You know, I think you talked about in the opening, how do I kind of disrupt an industry that has a very set number of norms and status quos and things like that to get noticed. What I do on LinkedIn, nobody else in my industry really does that. And so then there's that piece of it, which is heavy, heavy risk taking. And then on the other side of it is to make sure that my clients feel that I'm a professional, I know what I'm doing, and that I'm seeing ahead what could be coming. You know, much like example, you guys in the Gulf Coast, there's, you know, it's looking like it might be a category for, for a hurricane. So, you know, how do I how do I walk that very fine line of being the risk taker, but also being the safe harbor for our clients? And so um, it's a you know, I wouldn't say that I've, I've got it completely nailed down. But what I do know is that the clients that we have love doing business with us because we're doing it differently. And so the, the what's important to me is to give value in a million different ways to people. And so, you know, everything I do, whether we bring somebody on board, uh, whether we're really going to push heavy on a, on a product or service or something, because the community needs it, um, how we market, how we reevaluate our onboarding process for clients and our ongoing service, all of that is filtered through how do I provide the most lifetime value to people, but make them feel like, Okay, he takes some risk, but he's not going to take risk with my stuff. Yeah, I think you just that last statement is what I was left with. I mean, if if somebody leaves, you know, this particular conversation, or really, uh, if they if, if they interact with one of your videos, the impression that that somebody is going to leave with is okay. That's a risk taker, right? That's a that's somebody who's who's taking a calculated risk. However, they're never going to expose me uh, unnecessarily for uh, to risk. I mean, there's they want to be able to protect their downside. However, that respect was crafted over time, so there had to have been a you know a situation. For instance, whenever I was leading a sales team, really days one through thirty five, the sales reps whenever they would come in, I wanted them to, first of all. They needed to be able to not be scared of the telephone. And in order to not be scared of the telephone, it takes a significant amount of volume. I mean, this is back and so I'm dating myself a little bit here, but this is back in 2016, right? So back whenever salespeople actually called people on the telephone and had sales conversations. I don't know if those of you who are listening never heard of this concept, but your telephone actually works if you, you know, dial the numbers in and somebody will actually pick it up on the other end. That's just how sales worked back in 2016, still does to this day. However, it's not everything is done through social media. In this particular instance, though, it created this opportunity for them to screw up. It created this opportunity for them to to have a sales conversation, not go exactly the way that it was planned, 
because they needed to develop some resistance, what I called figuratively kind of getting punched in the face over the telephone, because things just don't go according to plan all the time. What happens when things don't go according to plan? And do you have an experience or do you have a a scenario where you could share where things didn't go according to plan? Maybe, Maybe in what you're tangentially related to what you're doing now. I don't want you to professionally embarrass yourself here. But my point is, is did you have something where it didn't go according to plan and and you had the opportunity to either make it right with a customer, like walk us through a scenario where maybe you stepped on it through the whole, through the whole uh, product delivery process. One immediately comes to mind, and this isn't uh, a customer scenario, but it is an employer scenario. And, and man, did I grow quickly from this. So I went from the Marine Corps straight into life insurance sales. That was my first next job. And, and I loved it because when I transitioned during my personal transition, I took some time to articulate why I was going to do what I was going to do next. And so there was two major things is I wanted to control my income, completely be responsible for it. That's why I went into commission only sales. And I wanted at the end of the day, when my head hit the pillow, I wanted to feel like I did something meaningful in somebody else's life. And if I accomplished those two things, it was a great day. If I accomplished one of those two things, it was a good day. If I didn't accomplish any of those things, well, we got to try again tomorrow. So um, it turns out, I didn't know I would be good at sales. I had no sales practice or learning, but I got very good at it. And so with the first company I was with, I I rose through the ranks very quickly. And so I I flipped that sales job into a better sales job. And I did that for two years. And then I flipped that one into an even better job. So I went from kind of salesperson up to sales director within four years. So the third company where I got hired to be a director, I'm coming in and I'm just like, oh man, I'm, I'm hot. You know, they really wanted me. It was a long drawn out negotiation process. I felt very good about what I got in the deal. And so I started in December and my first week in the company was to fly up and to meet with the president, the EVP and the whole sales director team. So it's like everybody. And it was, this was in Rapid City, South Dakota. Well, the first night we had like a little, you know, gathering party, something like that. And man, did I step in it big where I basically just came in and said, this is everything that you're doing wrong. And this is how you can grow. And I said this to the, to the president of the company. Well, that didn't sit very well with somebody who had put her life's work into that company. She'd been there for 20 years and started off in the mailroom. Her story is incredible. And so I was truly a jackass. And the next day or a day or two later, we were still up there. My, my boss, who we're still very good friends with, was like, you know, you really stepped in it big time. And I was like, okay. Almost the equivalent of riding the Comet out of the Marine Corps as a recruit, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I guess we're starting to see a theme, right? Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, so I, I I scheduled a meeting with her. I went in hat in hand and I said, look, I've had some time to think about this and I was absolutely wrong. The way I approached it was completely out of line. And where she was so gracious in all of this was like, I know what your point was. You are very passionate about what you do what you can bring to the table and how you can help us grow. She said, Rob, we hired you for a reason. And that was on display, but your tact was a little bit off. 
I think it's a really good story, Rob. I, I'm going to I want to jump in here to, to have some back and forth. Yeah. One, just because I think it's important. Do you remember the rifle range? Yeah, of course. All right. So those of you who are listening, not everybody who's listening uh, is, you know, is a Marine or spent some time developing their marksmanship skills. But regardless of what your opinion is about about firearms, Second Amendment training, whatever the case may be, you can still agree. We can all agree that uh, that the rifle range could be an inherently relatively dangerous place if there wasn't safety protocols to follow. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So the 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 words and the you know, the framework, so to speak, that you that you went into that particular environment with in Rapid City was a lot like going to the rifle range to a certain extent for me. Like what I think about when I look at your demeanor, your nonverbals, what you decide to speak about, well, the words that you say, that's the equivalent of of essentially paying attention to where your muzzle is pointed to. If you're, uh, you know, a coach or a range safety officer when you're on the, or the rifle range. Because whether you mean to or not, your your muzzle may be engaging somebody to your right or to your left. And so what I mean by that is your your muzzle could accidentally be pointing towards somebody who's to your right or left. And you, inadvertently, you're not even aware of it. So that's why in the Marine Corps, it's like they, they train you to in order to protect for the safety of everybody else. You never point a weapon at anything you not intend to shoot. So it's it's almost like in sales you you're encouraged not to take risks because you could potentially hurt or damage somebody. But the thing is, is you, you, you didn't intend to, uh, to really shake things up. You weren't really trying to rattle the cage. What you were wanting to do is you were wanting to show value. You were wanting to point out what you saw was a gap in their particular process and the gain pathway in order to help them uh, solve that particular problem. So it takes the initiative and the willingness to go and do that, I, I love how you characterized her feedback to you as gracious, uh, because it, it showed that she didn't have an ego about what you stepped on. Right now, that could have blown up in your face a little bit, and use the range analogy. That could have somebody could have just snatched up your rifle and said, "Hey, listen, you're done. Yeah. You don't have an opportunity to shoot rounds anymore." So, uh, I think it's that fear of of getting you know your rifle taken away that just stops people from being willing to take that risk. Do you agree with that or do you think that that's a mischaracterization? No, 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 no. I absolutely do. And I would say the one the one key lesson I learned from that experience was that being intentional matters. So you can have all the passion, you can have all the talent, you can have all the skill. But if you're to use a, a, a rifle terminology, if you're spraying and praying without any direction to where you're aiming onto your target, then the collateral damage could be far more severe. Because I think you're spot on, man. I, she could have said, okay, this experiment's over, like <laughs> you're on the next flight back home and could have t- and could have fired me right then and there. And she would have been well within her right to do so. And, and I probably would have been justified. So yeah, I mean, I think that's a great analogy. So when you think about that, Rob, I want you to think about that. Like with the next time that you hire an agent and you onboard them onto your team and they, they decide to sell some type of comprehensive commercial liability to somebody who doesn't have a business entity. You're like, oh, hold on for a second. Time out. How did you, how did you pick that product? How, how, yeah. had, had, walk me through how you did that. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. yeah. I'm not speaking that on you. So uh, Rob, I appreciate, I appreciate you taking some time and walking us through some, some stories uh, that were difficult to, I'm sure to experience, but probably even more difficult revealing to have to go back and evaluate and, and make sure that you, you know, you drew a learning lesson from that. So, I mean, any, anything that you, you would suggest that these folks do if they, you know, if, if they find themselves in a situation where they, they don't think that they need insurance or they, you know, they don't even look at, at, at life insurance as a, 
you know, as a viable product for them. Like walk us through why somebody would want to, you know, engage with you and, and tell us how to do it. Yeah. This, this has been my pitch since I got out of the Marine Corps to people. Um, you know, when I was, when I was in the Marines, I was a mortuary affairs specialist. And so for those of you that aren't familiar with what we do, um, in the Marine Corps, we, we collect the remains of soldiers, sailors, airmen, coasty Marines, DOD contractors that are killed in action. We inventory their effects. Uh, and then we do what's called a dignified transfer and put them on an angel flight to get them home. That's when we're in combat. When we're not in combat, Oftentimes, our unit is responsible for giving the next of kin notification, sir, ma'am, on behalf of the president of the United States of America. We regret to inform you that your son or daughter has been killed in action. It's heavy stuff, dude. It's heavy stuff. And um, we did, I did a lot of uh, funeral honors for burials. And even though every family knew that there was risk associated with their son, their daughter, their husband, their wife being in combat, the beautiful thing about being human is that we're all optimistic and we don't think it's going to happen to us. Otherwise, we'd all live in a cave and nobody would ever take any risks ever. But the reality of it is, is that it can happen to you. It can happen to me. And we have a choice that we can make to be prepared for it or to be unprepared for it. So that's really the only reason why I'm passionate about insurance is because of those families that I served when I was in the Marines. So I just encourage people to find a, a trusted advisor and take some time to interview that person and make sure they're on the same page as you and then make the, the smart decisions to protect yourself against what could happen. Cause there's just no way of knowing if it's going to be you. No, I appreciate that. Uh, it is heavy stuff. It, it's heavy heavy and stuff isn't quite the, I mean, I don't even think that's the right words just to describe uh, that scenario that you just talked us through, but how can people get in touch with you? I mean, when I, when I think about life insurance and, and those types of things, I think you're exactly right. I don't want to dedicate a significant amount of time and energy towards it because it, it's a slippery slope. I mean, you can go yeah. down the path and you, I mean, it's not a, it's not a, a posture to be in where you're, uh, where you're thinking negatively. You want, you want to be able to have some options and some solutions. So talking yeah. with somebody like you, who's spent some time critical thinking about what those options are, uh, it's a great person that you want to have a conversation with. So how can people get in touch with you, Rob? Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely follow me on LinkedIn. It's uh, just Rob Renz, R-E-N-S. I love to give a lot of value and sort of take that passive marketing approach where I just put out thoughts, ideas, topics, and maybe one of them will resonate with you. If you're like, okay, I've been thinking about this for forever. Best way to get in touch with me is to just shoot me an email. It's rob at mycapefearinsurance.com. Um, and uh, man, I'm, I'm a no pressure guy. Like I want you to feel that you have the space to just ask questions and make an informed decision. Because if you're rushed, it's bad. Yeah, it's, I think it's a good way to characterize it. If it's rushed, it's bad. So have that <laughs> conversation and ask those difficult questions. Well, I appreciate you taking some time and sharing some stories. Anything else that you want to leave these folks with before we jam today? Even though we've never met each other, we've never seen each other. I absolutely love you. And I just hope everybody will have a great day and spread a little positivity throughout the world. Very good. Very good. Well, Rob, we appreciate you. For those of you who like listen, Knucklehead, we come up with episodes all the time, but we will release them every Tuesday. So every Tuesday, we ask that you go over to the Apple podcast store, wherever you happen to be getting your particular podcast. Spotify is making a big splash. Joe Rogan, you know, in September is going to be going over there. So if you listen to the podcast on Spotify, fantastic. Go over to Spotify, but subscribe to the show, leave a review. My encouragement to you 
is if, uh, you know, if you're a Marine or if you spend some time in the service or if you happen to run a business, take some time to reach out to Rob, challenge him on what it is that he's saying. Go over to LinkedIn. Everybody's already on there anyway. So you may as well find some people who are producing high quality content, who are providing value, who are also giving you an opportunity to interact with them so you can ask some questions off of them. That's my encouragement to you. Go over there. And uh, for those of you who are stinky, you know how to go over to Manscaped and redeem your promo code. Use Knucklehead. Tell them Knucklehead sent you. And they'll send you over a little discount. And we appreciate what those guys do for us over here at Knucklehead. With that, Rob and everybody at State Farm listening to this, follow his lead. He may not like me saying that, but I'm just telling you, the proof is in the pudding. If you can see folks engaging with this particular content and asking them to do a review of what they have, something's working. So, Rob, we appreciate you, buddy. And have a good rest of the day, okay? All right, man. Thanks, Stephen. You bet.